The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Call me Snake. I'm not trying to be funny here. I think there was a crossover with Magnum and Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, you are killing me. What? What the fuck? <laughs> it definitely was not a Magnum P.I. Night Rider, because as a Night Rider devotee, I would definitely know about that episode. Stevie Nicks was on an episode. Of Night Rider? Oh, damn, I gotta find that. It was a popular show. It's, it's, it's... Oh, Night Rider was one of the greatest shows ever. Okay, so um, I'm gonna hit the mute button now. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I am Molly Balin. And I am Eric Deutsch. And we welcome back C.S. Fairley, author of The Shepherd's Calculus. Thanks for having me. Welcome back to prison. And we got a whole uh, bunch of dudes continuing to uh, run to helicopters. Minute 71 continues with police force personnel and uh, moves to Hauk giving one more baby hit me one more time. Shout out to Pliskin over the radio. Uh, Snake does the limp of shame down a colorful hallway and enters the arena to booze. Dun, 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 dun. So this... Uh, start of this minute is kind of like what you were talking about last minute cs where there's an intimate relationship with the mike and hauk and that there's this really intense little bit of of acting here from him of just like pliskin please are you out there and and one last ditch effort to see if his boy's out there or not it's sort of in my mind i kind of imagine the scene where five mouskowitz's sister starts singing somewhere out there you know, mm-hmm. the camera pans back, but he's staring into the middle distance as he's saying it. It's sort of like he's willing Snake to hear him. It's pretty. It's pretty intense. It is pretty intense, but I appreciate that. That he's still, he's hoping and he's believing that maybe just you know maybe you know his guy's still out there. I was kind of thinking, and this is really like kind of inappropriate, but you know they didn't need to put two nails <laughs> in the goggles. <laughs> really could have just used one but you know i also like how it it then flashes to the clock and in case we we had any doubt what the clock was meant to represent they put master life clock in huge letters (laughs) right above it so i was like is that the brand name of the clock manufacturer or is that literally like the, the U.S. government just has all of these clocks sitting around and each one of them has a different name for, for what it's going to do to you? Like this one is your master life clock. This is how much time you have left to live in the world. I don't know. Yeah, that's really that's an interesting thought, because, I mean, this is a movie that really enjoys its branding and the United States police force really does enjoy its branding on everything, you know, in that space ball sort of way of like space balls, the <laughs> toilet paper, space balls, the flamethrower. So I can see as maybe a government contract that maybe there's some type of like master life clock sort of a thing that is specifically been branded by some company. And this is just like everything is master life clock. So what are the different categories? We have tracer status. But then it doesn't actually give us the status. 
I don't know that we've ever actually found a status now that I'm thinking about it. I feel like this has been the steady image we've seen. And maybe that's part of the problem is that it doesn't actually give you a tracer status. Tracer status will will occur later in the movie. Oh, oh, snap. Okay. Yep. Um, the other thing that I find to be interesting here is that this is a little bit shaky. So it almost looks like this has been shot handheld, which I don't understand why. I hadn't caught that. Now I'm going to have to go back and watch that. <laughs> if you press the play, you'll see that it just has this slight little, oh, like, yes. little jarring. Yeah. I see exactly what you're saying. It is not a steady shot of that Master Life clock. That is definitely someone holding a camera in their hand. It is. <laughs> it is. And I appreciate that because I'm a fundamentally a lazy person. So I can totally see that I would be that person who's like, ah, fuck it. I'm not going to throw it on a tripod. Fuck, <laughs> you just hold it and do it. So I get that. But it is weird. Yeah, it's almost like maybe they were like, oh, shit, we haven't shown the clock in a while. And they had already, like, wrapped up for the day. So like, <laughs> uh, go, just go get a quick shot. So we'll, we'll insert it later. And they had already, like, you know, put the tripod in its case. So they just, all right, uh, let's, just, let's get this quick shot here. No one, no one 30 years from now is going to be sitting around <laughs> analyzing this movie, movie by minute. Oh my gosh. Yeah, this would be something to ask John Carpenter. Be like, why'd you do that, man? <laughs> so you at uh, a minute 71 and 14 seconds, John, I, I have a bone <laughs> with you here on what you did in this movie. And then there's only an hour 56 left. Speaking of this Master Life Clock, we are getting down to the nitty gritty here. We're, we're running out of time. Yeah, Braveheart's longer than, than that. You have one Braveheart viewing left in your lifetime. That is like, <laughs> imagine if that's how they deliver the news to people. <laughs> this is your countdown. All of your countdowns in Mel Gibson films. Yeah, he gets captured and that's all you know. So we do shift here uh, just to the tail end of uh, the gypsy dude walking through the door. So we've had like three separate scenes <laughs> yeah, broken oh up. God, I know. <laughs> Unbelievable how long it's taken this guy to walk out that door. Like, my <laughs> God. There's got to be a record for breaking up a scene <laughs> in the weirdest way, like prolonging it for really no goddamn good reason. And this has got to be in the running for it. At least it's got to get a bronze. It's got a place. Yeah, it, it has taken Snake at this point about six, seven, eight minutes of movie time just to wake up and get off this table and that guy to walk out of the room. And I'm also, this particular scene, I remember thinking that wallpaper is in really good shape for what they use this building for. <laughs> you know, it's, it looks like it's just been put up and it's very, you know, these snozberries taste like snozberries, like plush kind of flocked wallpaper. Um, because then he goes into this really dingy room that's lit by gasoline and, and torches, right? So you're sort of like, why was that room so bright and clean and and everything else is not yeah it's kind of like their version of versailles all of a sudden i'm like it what is. is this going on it is well also i mean just looking along the two walls of this hallway it look it looks like it's furniture with you know uh like fabric coverings over the furniture i mean i, I don't or maybe like some kind of wooden pallets or something and and the fabrics are all nice and clean and and no holes and aren't dirty and and yeah. But all they're doing, you know, in, in, in this kind of society, those things would be very coveted blanket or towels. And instead, they're just kind of draped over furniture here on the side of the wall. It's true. And, and especially when he first walks in, you know, the people who are there when he first walks in are curiously dressed kind of like like the 
the wardrobes are all over the map in this scene because you've right. got sort of the the runaways. You've got someone wearing like a floppy Carly Simon hat inexplicably. <laughs> um, but then when he first walks in the room, there's someone who's dressed like a you know Algerian Bedouin. And I found myself thinking, did they get their clothes from the furniture in that hallway? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. Well, certainly purple shirt guy. I mean, his shirt could have come from all these fabrics. Definitely. But where did he get the medallion? Yeah. That is, that is some know. sweet shit on his neck. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. did he get the, you are like the fourth guest to mention that medallion. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's almost as though if he were in Raiders of the Lost Ark, he could stick it on that thing and pass the sun through it. And no, then find no. the map to the Ark. That's all I'm saying. Or the, uh, oh, I'm not getting this movie wrong. Is it Neverending Story? Where he has to put the thing on the book to, oh. Yes, I think it right? is the Neverending Story. Am I getting story. this right? I haven't seen that movie in a really long time. Yeah, I think that is. Sebastian, right? He has to yeah. put it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. then my favorite scene in this is, like, the last the last guy who's sort of heckling him as he walks up is, is dressed like Fidel Castro. <laughs> so, I don't know. Every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, it's Fidel. What's up? <laughs> Yeah, so as they leave the the hallway, he comes into this gigantic hall to lots and lots of booze, and uh, we won't find out until tomorrow exactly what's going on in this room. But yeah, we we get more people dressed in rags, and definitely, you know, what could be best described as yeah, extras from some kind of Cuban revolutionary movie, I guess. <laughs> And the way that it freezes at that exact moment, I just want to take a moment to appreciate this because you get shirtless, more shirtless Kurt Russell, um, which I'm sure was not not an accident. Mm-hmm. But in that particular scene, his his snake uh, tattoo looks like it's a giant question mark above his crotch. Mm. I'm just, I don't, <laughs> it's sort of like, guess what? Question mark. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. the, quote, the quote that I like from Kurt Russell about the tattoo is... He said, we put the tattoo where it should be. If you're going to wear a cobra, wear it there. <laughs> hmm. I do like it. Second 45, the, uh, there's like a Bedouin with some like pink kind of accents. And <laughs> yeah. just where it's like frozen, it kind of looks like like a mom pose. Like mom's waiting <laughs> on you. It's like, pose. You know? Yes. I told you to unload the dishwasher 25 minutes ago. <laughs> That's entirely what's happening there. Also, she vaguely looks like, she or he looks like they're dressed like the Virgin Mary. So yeah. it's really... <laughs> it's a really beautiful moment. <laughs> That's pretty well done. We missed one thing I want to go back to in the, in the hallway when they're bringing him in that adding to the mystery of what are we going to find out in the next minute. Walking in the other direction is some poor, bloody, dead slob on a stretcher. Well, no, he's not walking in the direction. Two people carrying someone on a stretcher is some poor, bloody, dead slob. And you're wondering, oh, hmm, what's going on in this other room that everybody's cheering and screaming and booing and yelling about? Yeah, I think that's some good psychological warfare to take him through the hallway. In fact, if I wanted to freak somebody out, that would be the way I would take them out. Because I presume they have other exits in this large place. Mm. But they happen to be taking them out that way. Mm. And, you know, I know that's convenient for our storytelling, but that's also what I would do just to freak Snake out. I also like how the camera lingers on the on the lock that's over the door. Because earlier in the movie, we've seen 
the crazies, or I think that's what they call them, literally kill someone by digging up through the floor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the lock seems really effective, I guess, is, is how I feel. <laughs> yeah, locks are in general very effective here. So CS, what's, um, you have any kind of interesting history of this movie? Is this a movie that you used to watch a long time ago that you only recently introduced to it? Yeah, I, I always saw bits and pieces of it. Uh, you know, I growing up we didn't have a uh, tv <laughs> when i was growing up uh so i would sort of try to cram all of my tv watching into two weeks in the summer that i spent with my grandparents who had cable and there was a, a real spate there for a while when tbs i don't know before it became the kind of ted turner uh empire that it became used to run a lot of movies and so i would get bits and snatches of this on TV, but I never got to watch the full thing altogether uh, until recently. And I think just, you know, I up until about two and a half years ago, I lived in New York for 25 years. So I think I, I've, I appreciate the so many things about the film that capture kind of the, the zeitgeist of everyone being terrified of crime in the mm. 80s, uh, because I used to spend a lot of time in New York in the summer in the 80s, because my grandparents lived there. It's where my dad grew up. So, you know, I remember kind of driving our, our family station wagon over, you know, in the Lincoln Tunnel and coming into Times Square where there were prostitutes everywhere and, and they would come up to the car and there would be my dad in our wood paneled station wagon with four kids in the car and his wife sitting next to him and he'd just be like no 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 thank you or like the windshield wiper guys the squeegee guys so it's a really interesting movie to watch and kind of think about how it it really does capture that kind of fear that was Mm. pulsing through new york definitely in the 80s and a good portion of the early 90s so I have a question for you, and it's something that we've asked previous guests, uh, and I think Eric and I are of the same mind on it, but this movie is often called a science fiction genre flick, and uh, I and Eric take issue with that, but I was curious how you would place this in terms of a genre film. I would not necessarily call it science fiction, and, and I think that has more to do with my my own sort of personal definitions of science fiction, which I think are probably somewhat unrefined by comparison to most people. <laughs> um, my husband is a huge fan of uh, science fiction and, and has 15 different subcategories for it, most of which I, I sort of, I'm like, are there space lasers? Are there aliens? And he's like, no, no, you don't understand. And he's right. So I think what I would sort of categorize it as is, you know, it's that dystopian kind of question, but asking the larger questions about that I think a lot of things do, like whether it's The Walking Dead uh, or whether it's Lord of the Flies, where the bigger question is what happens when society dismantles and chaos kind of ensues? Well, a new order arises within that, right? And so that's mm-hmm. kind of the category that I would put it in where, like, you know, The Walking Dead, I wouldn't necessarily call a zombie TV show. That's obviously the main plot point. But what I find more interesting about it is how it's asking these sort of philosophical questions about society, what happens when order is either overdone or order is abandoned, and what fills the vacuum afterwards. That's that's really what fascinates me about it as a movie. Right. The term that I've settled on for this is dystopian speculative fiction for this movie. Yes, you said it far more articulately and with many <laughs> fewer words than I did. That's perfect. Eric's going to write all our ransom notes from here on out. <laughs> no bullshit. 69th Street Bridge, noon tomorrow. No, this is kind of a dystopian West Wing kind of a minute. <laughs> Just it's very Aaron Sorkian kind yeah, of. It is. <laughs> 
Well, I guess but no, that's it. <laughs> I guess they're not talking to Snake, more like just the walk and uh, threaten, I guess. It's yeah. the walk. That walk, like, the whole thing feels like a Pat Benatar video. Oh, <laughs> uh, my God. Know? And it's, I, I was waiting for the music to bust out, uh, and it didn't, so. Brad, you are not allowed to tack on at the end of this episode. Um, <laughs> Love is a battlefield, or uh, we will be invincible. Try to stop me. <laughs> who was that who was that it's EVP uh, let's promote our contest for a second here everyone remember Molly and I were looking for your photos chock full of nuts send us a photo of chock full of nuts in your home or in a store or in a cafe or on a gas station billboard or whatever and win your appearance one minute of the closing credits to join Molly and I Send it to escapefromnewyorkminute at gmail.com. We'll choose the best photos. Send as many photos as you want. No previous guests. No future scheduled guests are eligible. And you got to have Skype. And you got to be available sometime a little bit before Thanksgiving, probably. Uh, CS, why don't you remind everybody uh, about uh, your credits and where they can find everything that you do? Great. If they want to find out some more about my book, The Shepherd's Calculus, they can visit my author website. That's www.csfairly.com or the publisher website, which is Cavan Bridge Press. And uh, I also have an author Facebook page and I'm on Twitter at Swift Retort. All right, awesome. CS will be back with us one more time for tomorrow's Minute. Until then, come chat with us about this Minute on Facebook in Brain's Library, the Escape from New York Minute Hangout. Come chat with us on Twitter. That's NY Minute Pod. Give us a rating, give us a review, but make them nice and and. and the higher number of the review stars. Make Molly happy. Yes, no shitty reviews. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you haven't yet subscribed to us, still plenty of time to subscribe. Uh, so until next time, be on time, stay out of the sewers, and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall.